Welcome to my den and to this very special episode of Native Digital, Native Analog. Imagine you're a young man in your early 20s and you decide to forego everything and put your life on the line by joining the U.S. Army. You leave full of hope and full of courage. But a few years later, when you return home, your wife asks for a divorce. You suddenly find yourself homeless and on the streets. And you have nowhere to turn. You're at the very bottom, starting all over again in your late 30s. Well, this is exactly what happened to our guest today, Jamie J, who went from being homeless to being a multiple seven-figure business owner and now a legendary CEO who I look up to immensely, who's also a best-selling author of the book, Quit Repeating Yourself, and the CEO of Bottleneck Distant Assistance, which is a distant assistance company that connects small businesses with distant assistance in the Philippines, South Africa, and beyond. You see, Jamie is someone I greatly admire, respect, and who shocks me consistently every time we talk with his incredible empathy. And you guys, you may find this amazing, but when I look through the endorsements for Quit Repeating Yourself, Jamie's new book, it has shocked me how many people have said the same thing about him, which is he is one of the most empathic individuals they have ever met. On today's show, Jamie has practical, tactical, tactical, snackable advice for small business owners, and not just small business owners, but any CEO, executive, or business owner who wants to be successful and an empathetic person. We're going to dive deep into strategies today for culture, recruitment, retention, and the like, and I can't wait for you to hear Jamie's incredible advice. You're listening to Native Digital, Native Analog, the show where I, a Gen Zer, dissect collisions and commonalities between my generation and yours. I believe that if you don't have a Native Digital on your board of directors, your leadership team, or one that's paid to pester you like a fly in your ear, you won't survive. Let's change that today. Before we dive in, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Overture Consulting. So if you're a leader or business owner in a small to mid-sized company and you want to improve retention of your employees under age 30, be sure to sign up for our free masterclass held on the second and fourth Thursday of every month, where we give you tactical strategies to make you a top native digital employer. And you can register for that session at hannahgwilliams.com forward slash get that shit. And now hang on to your seats or your time machines if you're cool like that. And join me in my living room with the amazing Jamie J. Hey, Jamie. Welcome. How have you been, man? Ah, I've been great. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. Congratulations for getting this thing kicked off. You just continue to impress all the stuff that you have doing and follow through and get it launched. Yes, yes, get a launch. Well, you were a huge inspiration for me in this. I mean, gosh, how long has it been since I came on Live with Bottleneck? Oh, boy. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Six months, maybe? Yeah, probably six months ago. That's insane. So much has happened since then. And I have to ask, just because your background is beautiful, what is this wine? I can can only read champions or something like that in the background. (laughs) 
<laughs> this wine is the official wine of the 2019 St. Louis Blues uh, champion hockey team. So it's kind nice. of cool. You had to, you know, a little collection thing. I'm a hockey fan. Being a hockey fan and all, it's kind of nice to kind of collect when they win the championship. <laughs> hockey is a cool sport to be a fan of. I, If you know anything about me, it's probably... The thing that I know least about is sports. It just it just is. <laughs> um, but <laughs> ho- if you have to pick a sport, hockey is a cool one to have. So, like, what drew what drew you to hockey? Well, I grew up in Alaska, uh, so at the age of four, I think uh, was the first time I started skating. I started playing uh, hockey. Uh, pretty much, it's nine months out of the year. You you've got ice without any kind of uh, uh, construction. It just it's just ice. It's so cold there. So we played a lot of hockey there uh, from a young, young age. And I remember in sixth grade, I was our uh, ice guard at the at school. So I'd always get out of lunch, uh, uh, get to go to lunch about 10 or 15 minutes earlier because at lunchtime we would always skate on the ice and I was the ice guard. So I don't know. I just uh, I just absolutely love it. And, and now I've been playing for oof, 40, 45, 46 years. Wait, you still play? I still play three, four times a week. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wait, and where do you live? I live in Springfield, Missouri. Okay. So you, you get some of that cold weather, but do you have to like skate indoors? Oh yeah, definitely indoors. It's, there's okay. some snow on the ground right now, but it, it won't stick around long. <laughs> fair, fair enough. So, okay. I did not know that. I mean, I knew you grew up in Alaska, but so you skated all the time when you were a kid and what, all okay. What is, what part of Alaska is there other than Juneau? Okay, so I lived in Juneau, actually Douglas, which is right across the channel from Juneau, which okay. is beautiful because I could look outside of my elementary classroom and you could see whales going down the channel and eagles oh flying. It was beautiful. Uh, then we moved to Fairbanks, Alaska, um, and then we moved to North Pole, Alaska, and then, uh, yeah, I came back down to the lower 48s when I was, I think I was 12 or 13 when we moved out of Alaska. So fun childhood, that's for sure. So you lived all over the different geographies of Alaska. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I, my husband and I have talked about trying to take some sort of road trip over to Seattle and then drive up to Alaska, and he loves to hunt. So we were oh. thinking about trying to make it a you know multiple month long excursion and go hunting and you know all that well, jazz. It's a but... lot of fun. You know what might be good too is you can go the Alaskan Highway through Canada. Mm-hmm. from Seattle, but it's also fun. You can take the ferry and that's a, that's a really fun little trip. Cause you go to Seattle, take the ferry out and you go to Ketchikan and Sitka and all that kind of stuff. And then you can head inland and, and do your hunting and stuff. But getting there by the ferry is a lot of fun. Wait, how long does that, t- that trip take? Well, it's about two days, two, two or three not days. not bad at all. No, it's not bad. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a great way to, great way to, uh, to enter Alaska, to see Alaska. Oh, that is awesome. Well, because everyone says, you know, you should do the you should do a cruise first and, you know, got, go the waterways. And I would love to go, you know, the waterways, but the cruise sounds boring to me. <laughs> a ferry sounds interesting or taking the drive. It's it's a big ferry. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you still have your rooms and stuff like that. And you, but you literally pull your car right onto it. And yeah, you're it, it's neat because they have a lot of really, really cool stops. Stops. It's a really, really neat way to see Alaska. Oh, my gosh. I, I would love to take that because that's the thing that always fascinates me. So here I am a native digital with lots of machinery that you can probably hear on the, 
uh, on my microphone outside, they're clearing snow. We got we got over ten inches of snow in North Carolina, and that does ne- that never happens. So Holy. we're we don't know what to do with it. So that's what's happening outside. <laughs> um, but anyway, as I was saying, so me being native digital, right? I am fascinated with the idea of taking a train ride, like an antique train ride across, you know, Russia or doing, you know, that type of traveling just fascinates me. But my husband's idea of a romantic date night when we're on any type of excursion like that is to go spend the whole night in the engine room of a ferry or of a train. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> he, he loves like explaining to me how all the parts work and all that. And it's it's kind of cute. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe a ferry would be a good idea. Hey, there you go. Alaska. It's a lot there of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to hear your story from you, Jamie, in person, because I read it in your book and it was, I was almost in tears just like reading it, but I want to hear it from you, like from your lips. What, like what, what has been your journey into being a business owner and going through, you know, obviously being a veteran and how, how did this all happen? Where, where did you come from and how'd you get here? Yeah, well, um, so the journey has been unique to say the least. And, and you've, you've, since you read the book, you've seen some of, or you've read some of what my challenges have had to overcome. I've been homeless a couple times when I was uh, a, a kid and, and then um, uh, when I was an adult twice. Um, and it's, you know, you, you learn a lot from that in case you can't surmise from that. Not only was I a pretty much, um, an adventure and a gambler of sorts, meaning uh, kind of risky uh, business ventures and things like that. I've always tried to uh, tried to. I've, I've just gone all the way when I've done that, and I and I learned that from uh, my dad that adopted me. Um, he was much the same way. He was kind of a risk taker, and and uh, you know that's how we found ourselves homeless a couple times, living in the truck as as uh, kids uh, from his business adventures failing. Uh, so <laughs> while most people don't take it to those extremes, I think many people, um, have rough patches in their life. And while they're, while they may not have been homeless, they can probably identify with a certain point in, in their time in their life where, you know, it was, they don't want to go through that again. And, but what they've learned from that has really helped them out. So I learned how to appreciate, um, what it's like to, uh, have some food. I learned, uh, what it was like to appreciate a roof over my head, um, to be out of the elements. And even though it wasn't a really long time that I, I had been homeless or anything, I still think about it to this day. And I think it has a lot to do, uh, with how I carry myself even to this day and the people that I like to associate myself with. I also think it has a lot to do with my drive, but I finally got, uh, my stuff together for the first time in about 1994, got a job in corporate America um, selling fax machines and copy machines and doing stuff like that. And then, uh, about 12 years later, um, decided to go out on my own. And, uh, that was a lot of fun. I uh, learned an important lesson on why it's so important not to burn bridges, if at all possible, when exiting from an organization or one entity to go into something else. Cause my first client was the organization that I worked for. Um, and I started an SEO agency and really enjoyed being out on my own. Um, and then that was my first experience hiring, uh, remote distant assistants from the Philippines. 
and that was in 2005 or 2006, right around there, and uh, created a real estate ad agency, which was an ad agency specifically designed to help real estate professionals, real estate investors, real estate agents, mortgage brokers, things like that, uh, to kind of get their message out there. Um, and we hired 13 people from the Philippines to kind of support us. And it was fantastic. And I've never looked back uh, since. And I love the culture there. I love working with remote assistants. And uh, our mutual friend, Christopher Lockhead, told me one time, Jamie, you've been social distancing before social distancing was a thing. And he's right. Uh, I've been in a remote kind of position for 15 years now and, and just absolutely love it. So Hopefully that's the uh, long story longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, and I want to get into that obviously later. Just in talking about, well, well, first of all, one of the first things that shocked me when you and I first connected was you had Raina, your assistant, doing all your communication for you. And I don't think I ever heard from you until I was on your show and whatnot. And I, even now, like I look back at your email and it's it's got info in front of it. It's not even your name. And, <laughs> and I, I'm just, and, and it's it baffles me, you know, just, well, it doesn't baffle me, but it, it was just a good reminder of how you've built your company to be so, you know, how many full-time employees do you have who are not, how many full-time employees do you have who are stateside? Uh, three, three, yeah. and everybody else is in the Philippines. Uh, in or or uh, Philippines, South Africa, Haiti. So we have so, different areas that we're working with, but yeah. So, but so non-stateside employees, everybody else is international, and then Reina, who is she still your assistant? She's she was lovely. Yeah, she's kind of grown. Uh, she's still kind of my assistant, managing a couple things, but she's grown and in, grown into more of a project management role. And nice. we'll see what what the future holds here in the near future because uh, we've got some really good ideas and plans for her. She's absolutely amazing. That's that's amazing. Well, and she emulated your voice so well. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, how many, especially mid-sized business owners, do I know who don't have you know assistants who can speak their language and use their tone and know everything, you know, the back of their hand and how many of them are paying for their executive assistant, probably triple or quadruple the the type of salary that, that you've got using DAs. So yeah. I'm, that blew my mind. You know, and, and, um, you, you kind of know me a little bit, you know, about, about the background and, and I can kind of get that through kind of that statement that you made, but I really want to hit this home. I think this is really important for people to understand is that, um, the it doesn't matter where someone's from. It matters the relationship. It matters the culture. And it matters the capabilities or the ability in manifesting or incorporating that vision, that mission, the core values, the provocative point of view, um, and how you carry your message through your tone and or your voice. And the more people you can get aligned with that, the more opportunity you have to work on the business instead of work on the individual aspects of your business, i.e. your services and or your products. Um, there's something to be said to um, for CEOs, to people that are building a business, to making yourself replaceable uh, by documenting everything as if it's the last time you're ever going to do it. And many people are afraid to be replaced. You know, hey, I'm the CEO. I created this thing. Well, if you don't document it through systems and processes, through 
um, itemized workflows, um, it's really hard to scale that business. And if you are the type of person that has that mentality where I need to approve everything or I need to be there in order to be in charge and make sure everything is working, you're actually hurting yourself more than you'll ever possibly know. And it took me a while to figure all of that out. And through delegation, um, I've been able to really leverage some time. And when I do, what I've found is not when I leverage the time, I'm able to clear my brain of a bunch of unneeded information. And when that happens, clarity comes out. And when you have clarity, you have creativity. And it's just a lot of fun. And the really cool part about it is every single person that works here, they all create their own job roles and responsibilities. They feel empowered to do so, but they really enjoy doing what it is that they're doing. I really enjoy doing what it is that I'm doing. And collectively, we all enjoy doing what it is that we do together. So I'm glad that you brought that up. But I, I really wanted to hit that home because that's um, that's basically the nucleus of, um, in my opinion, of how to grow an organization uh, from a grassroots level. I love that so much. And as a native digital, this whole perspective of working with different cultures and empowering people and, you know, seeing everyone as equally important and bringing something to the table is something that my generation was born with in a lot of ways. You know, you, you talk about this and, and I could say this of knowing you and of working with, you know, hundreds of other leaders who do not embrace that concept, that this idea of essentially what you said, you know, a couple minutes ago about having people who are individually responsible and empowered and present and who know the business and ca and catch the vision that idea that they can do that from South Africa or the Philippines or Haiti or from somewhere remote is something so many leaders come to me and they're still trying to they're still trying to tell me we're going we're going back into the office at some point right and here I am as a native digital and you know I I have these live sessions I do on Tuesdays with um, with other Gen Zers where we talk about, you know, um, life as a native digital and what's working at work and what's not working at work. <laughs> and and one of the things that consistently comes up is it's like, why can't people get into their heads, mostly native analogs who are running businesses, why can't they get it into their heads that someone from India or the Philippines or whomever can do just as effective and quality work, if not better than what what some of those employees are delivering who have the sense of entitlement, who are coming from a privileged background in the U.S. Like to us, that is just to native digitals, meaning us, you know, that's that's something we kind of start life out at, with that concept. So what do you think happened but like, what, where do you think that shift needs to happen in most organizations or what's going to create that shift where they, where leaders recognize the value, any person, person in any location of any ethnicity of any, you know, of any background can bring? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Uh, you know, leopard spots, that whole thing. Uh, but I think, I think we're seeing it. I think what, COVID did for us old folk, <laughs> right? Um, COVID forced opportunity on us in a way. So if you look at the silver linings of something that this pandemic um, propelled us 
into doing, motivated us into doing was we're we're human beings. We are very resourceful. We can, we always seem to figure out a way to get something done. And we, we hit those hurdles all the time. We always have a, there's just, we just, that's what a human being does. They figure things out to overcome obstacles. Um, some people are not quite there yet, but I would say the majority of people understand the future of work is a hybrid model. The future of work, now that we have with technology, an amazing source of talent, uh, a, a very large talent pool. And what we're seeing now is because of technology, we're able to go to so many different areas and hire those people and find somebody that's really good at what they're doing. Uh, they have great degrees or they have experience and they're young, they're youthful, they're older. It doesn't matter. You now have this huge, because of technology, advancement. And because of the silver linings that were afforded to us through COVID, we kind of had to cross over that chasm um, and many people said, no, I need to be right there to watch over and make sure that you're doing well. You need to show up to work. And if you're not here at eight o'clock, you know, what's going on? Because of COVID, we figured out that, hey, we can still be working remotely and still be very productive. Um, a lot of people, you said the other day, what's a face-to-face for a Gen Z? What is face-to-face for a Gen Z? It's talking this. on Zoom, right? Like yeah, this is face-to-face. This. For me, face-to-face is going to the coffee shop and talking to somebody. There's a bit of a difference there. But because we're all so uh, familiar now with Zoom or video conferencing, we can we've figured out ways to really leverage that and build community and build uh, amazing cultures. Uh, my entire team in the Philippines, I've not met them ever physically in person ever. The longest person on our team has been with us to just celebrated their seventh anniversary for us. It's That's it's fantastic. We you know we help each other out. Um, they're like family, and it's all digital. It's crazy, yeah. um, and I think more people now are getting exposed to that. To, so to answer your question, long story longer, I think people are realizing more and more that that is the way. That's the way, and so the people that don't embrace that right now are the people that are going to be left behind. And the great resignation has a lot to do with that. The number one reason someone leaves. Do you know what that is? Someone leaves a position? It's usually their boss. Bingo. They leave because of their manager. And it's those managers and those team leaders, those leaders, if they're not making the proper adjustments, they're going to start losing people and that people are going to go somewhere else. They're going to start a job or they're going to start a new company or they're going to do something. And then what happens to those people that are left behind that want to stick it out in those organizations? Well, now all of a sudden they're going to be finding themselves doing more than just their role. They're going to be doing the roles of two or three people, the people that have taken off. Not long after that, guess what happens? What What have you seen from your, your clients, your organization? Yeah. Burnout. You know, if you're working yourself to the bone, you're just going to get burned out. So we need to be able to overcome, adapt, and be those kind of leaders. Young or old, it doesn't matter. We're still in the same world and we're same position. And if you're talking to Gen Zers, they're going to want to see that you're making these moves and these strides. And above and beyond all of that, um, that you trust somebody to do something. 
So I see hopefully in the future, time tracking tools, while those are all great and everything like that, but the trust really needs to excel. By the way, we've gone away with time tracking tools here at Bottleneck. We don't do, use those anymore. Um, and the reason why is because we have check-in policies and we rely on people to present themselves and make sure that we judge them on the work that's being completed for that role, not that they check in at eight and they check out at five. So it's a big I want to go some deeper in, into that because it's something interesting I've found. We also use virtual assistants for my real estate company. And one of the things that I've noticed is even though the company that we've been working with has, you know, set hours and they have policies around if, you know, a, a distant assistant or a virtual assistant gets an hour for lunch or whatnot, I have noticed consistently that when I'm not managing by hours, but I'm managing the employees by task output, by their, you know, giving empowering and engaging them to give us ideas on what we could do better or what technology we could be using to improve our lead generation, for example, or how we you know, speak with our tenants or our phone systems. When they have that empowerment, my VAs are consistently working overtime on some days, not getting paid anymore. They're just working more hours because they, they, they will tell me I've you know, I've never had a boss who treats me this respectfully from especially overseas. You know, I'm I'm here in North Carolina, they're in the Philippines, and it's very usual for them to be a part of a call center where there's 500 other people, you know, 500 employees who all feel like numbers and they clock in and they clock out and it does no one cares if all they do the whole day is answer the phones. And just that idea of giving someone meaningful task-driven work has empowered them so much. So what are so you said at Bottleneck, you guys are not using time clocks or not, mm-hmm. you know, clocking them and clocking them out. How do you like? What's your process for managing expectations? So um, that's done through a job role and responsibilities. Um, we create the original role and responsibilities. Um, but every January, every single person on my team writes their own role and responsibilities because as we grow, certain responsibilities change. And I want to make sure that they feel empowered to know that their voice matters. And one way of doing that is by them making, suggesting, uh, you know, this is what I really love doing. And I think this is how I can really make a bigger impact in this organization. Fantastic. Let's do that. Why not have somebody really zoning in on their area of genius or what really makes them tick? And as you know, as you grow, things change. Different interests happen or occur. You know, when you're uh, of one age, maybe uh, going through high school, well, what's the big deal there? Uh, You like clothes and maybe uh, you want to get a car. Well, what happens when you're in your mid-20s? Well, now you're kind of looking at buying a home. Maybe that's your interest. Interests and things change, you know, as you grow and you learn more and experience more. Another thing that we do is the reason why we got rid of time tracking is that felt like the old way of micromanaging your boss handing over your shoulder, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Or, you know, walking through there looking to make sure people are doing their work. Well, in this, this is the same way. We used to have a tracking system that would actually take snapshots of our DA's computer while they were working. And to me, that felt very intrusive. For me, I wouldn't want that to be happening. Uh, just for the simple fact that it feels big brotherish or big sisterish, right? Like someone always looking over you. And so what we came up with is a check-in policy. Uh, when they start their day, they come in, they say, hey, I'm here. 
uh, when they go for lunch. Hey, I'm getting ready to go for lunch. I'll be back in an hour. When they get back, hey, I'm back from lunch uh, 15 minutes prior to the end of the day. Hey, it's 15 minutes prior to the end of my shift. I just wanted to let you know this is everything I accomplished today. Is there anything else you need me to do before I wrap up my day in 15 minutes? And if there is, they can, they're there to answer some questions. And then at the end of the day, okay, I'll see you tomorrow or I'll see you on the next business working day, whatever that is. And I've seen that that's really, really helped because, um, you know, the, the first, especially in the beginning, that's where you're trying to figure people out and you're building that relationship. And it's a little bit more kind of, you're, you're spending more time with that relationship. But as it grows, you don't really necessarily need to be there as much. So why continue with that? hardcore micromanagement and why set yourself up for failure there? Because ultimately what's going to happen, someone's going to end up leaving. Number one reason, like you said, is because they don't like their manager. And chances are that manager is a micromanager. And if you can do that and trust them when you've never met these people in person and they're time zones away, how much more could our businesses here where we do know our people and where we see them and have interviewed with most of them face to face, how much more should we trust them and empower them? Yeah, it's, it's it's crazy. You know, and I have to say, I've had um, an opportunity to hire over a thousand people and or fire um, in 15, 16 years. I've never had one instance of theft ever from a remote-based relationship, either through myself or through our clients, never once. And I really think that's something very powerful, and, it, and I attribute that to establishing trust early on. And, and it's critical that as you're building a relationship, you extend trust. You'll learn very quickly whether or not this is going to be a trustworthy relationship or it's going to work out. That's why we have a 90-day onboarding process. Everybody everybody should incorporate or adapt, uh, adopt something like that. But you'll learn very quickly whether or not this relationship's going to work out. So, and and take your time. Um, so many people are so worried about just getting a rear end and seats to take care of something without really going into figuring out who that person is. And, do, you know, do they really want this? You know, like, do, can they be a part of this culture? So many people are trying to just get it done, get there. And then before you know it, they're letting them go because they weren't a good fit. So I think it's really important that you take some time in the beginning, especially when it's chaotic. The last thing you want to do is bring somebody in that you don't necessarily know is going to be a good fit for an organization that's already in a hypersonic Uber mode for (laughs) dealing with all chaos that's going on right now. Take your time on those, especially if you're in over your head. If you're ever telling yourself, I'm too busy right now to train somebody, um, well, whoever it is that you're hiring, 99% chance you're going to be letting that person go within the 90 days. So Hmm. be prepared because when you hire somebody, everybody thinks right off the bat, Hey, all right, I'm hiring somebody. Things are going to get easier. Um, Things are going to get about twice as difficult for the next 90 days because not only are you doing what you're supposed to be doing, now you're doing that for someone else as well. So just be prepared for that. Well, and that's something I loved about reading your book was the section on how to hire well, and how to onboard well, because you're so right. Those those crucial 90 days, and I experience that every single time we hire someone new, it doesn't matter if they're in physically in the office or if they're remote, having that, uh, that ability to devote those 90 days to really getting them up to speed is 
so crucial. And you're right, it's double workload. So anyway, I really enjoyed those parts of your book that were very tactical. And I want to get into more of that. But before we do that, I I do want to go back to your story because we kind of glazed over this and I truly want to hear this. So you said you were homeless when you were a kid. Mm. And I know that's shaped who you know who you are and how you view the world. And that's an experience probably the majority of the people I grew up around didn't, you know, have, have never experienced, but what happened after that, like your childhood? So you became a veteran or you became a veteran now, but you you went into the military (laughs) and so walk us through like, or walk me through military up to starting bottleneck. So military, um, I joined the military in 1990 ish, right around there. Um, and the reason I did that was because um, the the guy that adopted us, uh, he had he we he had done it again, and so it was me, my little brother, and my ma. And so I said, you know what? I'm not going to put this stress on my mom. Uh, so I'm going to go join the army. And I thought maybe I could do better supporting her by going off and starting my life. Uh, and that's what I did. Um, and so it, it was, uh, it was, I had a blast. I jumped out of perfectly good airplanes for a little while and got to shoot guns and, and I learned a lot of stuff, got some good friendships. And then the day that I came back, um, I got out of the army early because my I had a baby at the time. I didn't have the baby. My wife had the baby. Um, but it was like, okay, I'm going to go start this life. And the day I got back, my wife said, okay, I, I want a divorce. And so that day, I was expecting to move in with my uh, my father and mother-in-law and my wife and our daughter. And, and I was going to go work for him. And we had this thing all planned out. Well... I found myself with no place to stay. Um, I had very little money to my name and uh, went and stayed with a friend of mine. Uh, then I found myself homeless again and uh, finally uh, hooked up with a friend who let, agreed to let me stay on his couch, got a job as a waiter, and then through that wait job, met some friends that I then went and got a corporate job with and, and went through that corporate corporate deal. And then uh, got out of that and put my, I, I just had a rough time. I, I, I don't know if it was a rough time with authority, but it was a rough time with creativity, I think is a good word for it. Because I always wanted to kind of tweak things a little bit and do something a little bit different. And uh, within the confines, at least for me, my experience of corporate America is everything's in a box. Um, you can't say certain things. You can say certain things. You do certain things. You don't do certain things. Uh, I like my beard. There's no beards in corporate America. There's suit and there's ties <laughs> and there's th- like, it's like, oh my gosh. So I just always. And how long kinda, is your beard now? It's like. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Inches? It's, it's, it's decent size. <laughs> it's about the terminal <laughs> length. I don't think it's getting any longer. The but terminal length. Yeah, they, they, they say that in, in beard growth, there's a terminal length. So everybody has a terminal length. Some people have a really long terminal length, meaning that it won't grow past a certain length. This is mine. It won't go past this certain length. 
But I, so you I, won't be I, one of those guys who have like the curling mustaches <laughs> that enter mustache <laughs> art competitions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and see that for me would probably not be something I like because I would be within the confines of rules, right? And so right. I, I appreciate rules. I know there's a place for them. Um, I'm just always the person that likes to either break them or to just go around it. So. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I digress. Um, but that, that's kind of how it, that's kind of how it was. And I think that's what a lot of people that start their own deal, I would say you follow along with this, not the, that you're going to be growing a beard that you, <laughs> that you follow along with this. I and, might, and, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but a lot of us like to create something that wasn't there before, or we like to tweak it to make it different or we that's that's the life of an entrepreneur in in my opinion that's creating something out of nothing or doing something in a different way because no one else is doing it this way but what if we did it this way you know what if we did it that way we're thinking things that are new and and I just love that I absolutely love that and I think that's ultimately what led me to bottleneck and even at bottleneck we do things a little bit differently I'm not saying that any of the other organizations in our industry, talent as a service industry, any of any of those businesses are, are bad. I will never claim that we are better ever, but I will say we're different. Um, and there's several reasons why I would say we're different, much in the same way that I would hope that they would say they're different. Um, and I think that's what makes us who we are. And that's what keeps us going and keeps us driven. Well, I, I can completely relate to that. It's so hard to fit in a box as an entrepreneur. And I almost think, you know, when I look at kids and I see, you know, I'm, I'm the oldest of seven, as I'm sure I've shared with you before. So when I look at my younger siblings, it's very evident. Some of them have the entrepreneurial streak and some of them don't. And I think it starts, at least from what I've observed, as young kids who want to break the rules, who learn differently who don't think the same way as as the other kids in their class or who they're playing with. And to me, it's really obvious. So I actually have a friend and she is 16. But to me, you know, I, I know I'm only a few years older than her. But it's <laughs> it's weird because I remember when she was born and she's, you know, she to me always seemed like this baby. Well, anyway, they found out her parents found out about age 10 or 11 that she was dyslexic. And that she learns very, very differently from her other siblings who were all, you know, A plus students and they all, you know, either did, I was homeschooled. So some of them are homeschooled, some are private schooled. Well, anyway, so here comes Callie is her name. Here comes Callie and she's dyslexic and she learns differently. Well, her parents are very traditional boomers and, you know, they, um, her dad's had, a couple jobs through his lifetime, but he, you know, he has a steady job, no other extra sources of income. You know, the way that they were kind of taught in their family is what many of the millennial generation was taught, which is, you know, you go to school, you go to college, you get a, you get a job and you stay with that company for a long time. Well, millennials, obviously that backfired on their parents because now millennials are the job hopping generation. And no wonder they, they did the traditional path. They went college and they got a good job and then they weren't happy. Right? So here comes Callie along and she's dyslexic and she's showing a lot of entrepreneurial talent. I was just having a conversation with her mom the other week and I was like subtly making like hints like, okay, come on, you, you got to realize like she has talked about potentially buying a wedding venue or wedding business and starting that, 
you know, getting her entrepreneurial juices started. She's dating a guy who wants to go into real estate, who wants to house hack and, you know, buy a duplex and live in one side and rent out the other. And it's just interesting to me to watch this boomer perspective of, oh, no, 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 Callie's got to go, you know, scout out some colleges next year. She's got to go this route. And for Callie, every time she's talking to me, it's like, you know, I really want to own my own company. So anyway, just that dichotomy, that clash of perspectives happens every single generation to some extent, but we get to see it right now happening with, you know, you and I from, you know, me from Gen Z, you from Gen X, and then having the, you know, those two generations were very independent. We're very, uh, of this mindset that we can do things. If it's not done by us, who, you know, who's going to do it better. And that leads to this drive of let's start our own company. Let's, let's, let's knock out the shit. And then you have the, the millennials and the boomers who think a little differently. And now I watch millennials parenting young kids and it's, it's, fascinating to me to watch some of those same trends repeat themselves from boomers to millennials and the millennials to gen alpha. So anyway, I, yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> I'm digressing as well, but, um, so I want I do want to go back and ask you this cause you, so when you're sharing your story about being a, being in the military and then you come back home, your wife wants a divorce that day and your whole life is thrown out. I would imagine that to some extent you're that's that's part of who you are so much by this point in your life that it, it probably threw you for a loop but I can imagine it seemed like you you had the the um childhood to prepare you for it as terrible as that yeah. sounds um yeah. but like the fact that you were homeless again which to me if that happened to me I would be shocked like out of my mind I wouldn't know what to do or where to start but you probably knew to some extent how to handle that so like what what did your mom say when you decided to be an entrepreneur and go that direction instead of, you know, potentially the way? Well, okay, let me back up. So you you said you went into corporate America right when you came back after sleeping on a friend's couch. Uh, yeah, it was. So I got out. Yeah, it took me about a year or okay. so to kind of to kind of go f- make that transition from being homeless to be in a position to where I can get a, a couple suits to. Yeah. <laughs> Go work in corporate America. So how long were you in corporate before you started your own business? 12 years. 12 years. Okay. Yeah. Where was that? When did that shift happen for you? That After the you... first year. <laughs> it took me 11 years to figure out how I got out, uh, how to get out of corporate America. And, and, and by all means, corporate America is a, a beautiful platform for those that really love it. Um, and and it, I, I think it, it, it provides opportunities, security, opportunities for growth. Uh, I think it's I think it's really great for the right person. Um, again, I am that round peg going in a square, right? Or a square. Well, you grew peg. up in Alaska, so you already grew up in the adopted state, right? <laughs> yeah, like it's it's you know cross country skiing to the school bus stop. You know, it's it it just I just it for some reason I just didn't. I didn't click and uh, I met some great people there, but I still I, I met more people that I thought, in my opinion, they weren't they couldn't be who they truly were. Um, mm-hmm. I remember one time the big execs were coming over and they handed me a piece of paper with the with the company's mission statement on it. And they said, memorize this. If they ask you it, be ready to, to share that. And by the way, don't ask any questions. 
what? <laughs> like, we have a mission statement? I had no idea. Like, every single meeting we have here at Bottleneck, a different person on the team leads that meeting every day, and they always start out by reading our vision, our mission, and our provocative point of view, because it's a subtle reminder as to why we're doing what we're doing and how we're doing what we're doing. Um, and I think it's really important because it just kind of, again, tone, voice, and it keeps us, it's a friendly reminder, like, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And a lot of companies don't do that. It's words on a wall to them, uh, you know, and that's it. They don't embrace literally what that vision, what we aspire to do and what that mission, the things we do in order to achieve that vision and our provocative point of view, what separates us um, and what makes us different. People don't embrace it. So wait, it on hold on just a second. I don't want to interrupt you, but I have have to ask this. So you told me before the call that your average employee's age is 22, yep. right? And you just said that a different person on the team leads your meetings every week. Does that mean that people under age 22 are leading your meetings? Oh, we have uh, our newest developer. He's he he just turned 18 uh, and came to work with us. He leads the meetings. Um, and then what they what's really cool is after he's done with that meeting, um, they act like it was me leading the meeting or somebody else at the very end. Then they do like a little five minute training. Like this is what I do on a daily basis. And that does two things. Number one, it empowers them. They feel like, wow, what I'm doing is really important. And the owner of the company wants me to share this with everybody. That's how much he thinks it's important. And secondly, it gives an opportunity for everybody else on the team to realize what it is that this person does. So that the like, if I need to get a, say I want a social media graphic because I want to post it on social media, my expectation now that I've seen how these designers create an image is that, hey, I've got to give them some time. It's not like, hey, can you get this done in two hours? You know that can't happen. And it's really nice for all the other people on the team to kind of dive deep into each other's role so that they can ex- set, help set the expectations so that they're not over asking for something. Uh, so th- those two things alone, I think, are great opportunities for other people to learn from. And it just keeps us empowered, keeps us ticking. I love that so much. Like, do you... Do you know how many leaders and business owners I speak with on a weekly basis who cannot get past this idea that they would have even a graduate, from, uh, uh, someone with their bachelor's degree who's 22 or 23 leading a conversation or leading a project team? No, <laughs> like, I love it. You've got 18-year-olds. That is so Well, unhappy. think about it all the times you've done something and... Maybe you've been usurped or passed over just simply because of your age. I I don't know how much you've actually experienced that. I remember back in the day when I was in corporate America, I'm like, why can't I get that account? Well, you haven't been here. Yeah, but I have such good. Like, what if we did this and this? I'll take it to them. And the next thing you know, they're doing those ideas. And I thought, man, just because I'm younger or I'm more inexperienced than this person, let me follow my face. By the way, one of the things we do in our agenda, every single person talks about their misstep, not their failure, not their mistake, their misstep. And the reason why is twofold. Number one is because it gets them comfortable saying what's uncomfortable. And number two, it gives them a voice. It lets them get the confidence knowing that, 
hey, I can pretty much come up with any idea, say what I want, um, and I'm not going to be looked down upon. People aren't going to be rolling their eyes. And when I first launched that in our company at uh, meetings, the first person came up and they said, hey, I had this problem. I wasn't able to finish this this task that you assigned me. I'm so sorry. I didn't say anything. The very next thing I heard was someone else on the team saying, you know what? I've done that before. I can help you out. This is what we can do. Let's take 15 minutes after this call. Done. I was so excited. I was so happy. I was like, now that's what I'm talking about. Because someone else felt confident enough to say that they had a challenge. Another person felt confident enough to speak up and say, I can help you. Nobody rolled their eyes. There were no subtle chuckles or people like, oh my gosh, here we go again. There was none of that. It was complete positivity. It was fantastic. Well, and the fact that you call it missteps, not failures, you know, we always talk about encouraging people to make mistakes and encouraging them to fail. But so many organizations say, talk the talk, but then they don't walk the walk, right? It's, you're right. It's so subtle. It's the, it's the way that your manager looks at you. If you, if you, you know, dare to bring up the fact that you made a mistake and some organizations will say, we encourage mistake making. We want you to be innovative, but at the day-to-day, week-to-week levels, that practice is not implemented. So I'm I'm going to take that suggestion. So <laughs> you so let me repeat back what I what you just said. So you're essentially in your are, is this happening weekly with the yes. weekly team meetings? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have weekly team meetings. They're led by you know each meeting is led by an in, a different person, even your 18 year old. Yep. Staff members. Okay. And they at each meeting are saying here, you know, obviously they go through positive things or whatever, but they're also encouraged to say, here was my misstep I made for the week. Yep. Or sometimes they say, I don't have any missteps this week, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, I had a misstep this week. It was this and this. And do you also share your misstep when you're leading? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I, so if the if the organization does well and we accomplish a ton, the team accomplished. If there's a failure, if there's a mistake, if we lose a client, it's my fault. Every single time. Every single time without fail. I don't care what happened, it was my fault. Because I could have done something or put somebody else in a better position for success. And that's why. Everybody on my team, they... I'm an open book, uh, and and I think that's one of the good reasons that they, you know, we have team members um, that have been offered other positions, higher amounts of money, and they will turn them down because it's so much more important. Now, don't get me wrong, money is important. That's how we make our, you know, we got to pay rent and get food and stuff like that. But if you're not enjoying your life and you're not enjoying um, coming up, we're, we're launching a new website. <clears throat> Guess what? The team is figuring out what they think is going to be best for design and how it's going to work and what technology are they going to use? Not me. I created the idea like we need to come up with a new website that makes it easier for people to do this and this. What should we do? And by the way, this is a huge thing. So whenever you launch something new in a company or an idea or a concept, Think of it like, hey, this is what we're going to do today. It's like a car hitting a brick wall. Instead, say, 
I was thinking about something like this. What do you think and make that gradual introduction. That way people buy into it more. They're gonna be a much more, I don't care if this is somebody that's 18 or somebody that's 70. If you throw an idea to them, a curveball, and they have to act on it, chances of them doing it confidently because they're gonna be flustered, they're gonna be nervous, oh my gosh, I'm gonna fail. And you can't think and operate like that. And I get it, in business, it's fast, it's moving, technology's always changing. You gotta be able to zig when they zag and all that kind of stuff. I get that. But for the majority of the time, proper planning occurs when you start making subtle suggestions and mentioning things that you would like to see change over time. Case in point today, talking to somebody about a potential promotion. And um, they had followed up and said, are we still interested in this? And I said, well, you know, this is what I'm trying to do here because of this. And they said, I know you told me that, uh, you know, last year and I'm, I'm just trying to work. So it's no surprise to anybody. That's the best way. And I know this is kind of a side deal here, but I really think it's important. We're saying introducing new ideas need to be introduced over time. No surprises. And people really appreciate that. They really appreciate that. All of these little tips and things that we do within Bottleneck, I think all attribute to the bottom line of having a sustainable, organic, properly designed culture. And you're so passionate about it too. The beard's like swaying as you talk about <laughs> So basically what you're saying, I love that illustration. So like the car, instead of the car hitting the brick wall, it's like a surfer on a wave. It's like they're, they're riding that wave up. They're, you know, you're not introducing surprises. You're introducing bits of information and letting them help you make the decisions instead of hitting, you know, saying, here's this new policy. We're, in, you know, putting in place today, follow it. Hey, I've been thinking about this or a better way of doing business or a different way of building our website or doing our marketing and then letting them take over and ride that wave and give you suggestions. Uh, How about this? My wife is a amazing athlete. Um, She is uh, a runner and she wanted to go run a 15 K. Well, she didn't just decide that day. I'm going to go run a 15 K. She trained for it. And she let me know, Jamie, do, you know, I really want to do this in November. And this is June or something. And I'm like, good for you. We practice what we preach in our relationship, too. So if I want to do something, if I was to do something on a Saturday, maybe you and I are going to do a mastermind on Saturday. Well, believe you me, I'm going to let Sarah know, hey, in two weeks on a Saturday, I need 10 to 11 to where I can't do anything because I have a plan. You know, we're going to be doing this awesome mastermind thing for unlocking Gen Z or whatever that is, because I'm now I'm kind of prepping that same thing for her marathons and all that stuff. She lets me know in advance and she trains slowly build up, you know. Um, so that when she runs that marathon, she's not going to be all sore. She's going to run it. You know, it's no big deal. She just runs the marathon because she's practiced. Same thing. You're you're building up your marathon in your business with little bits and pieces of communication and training. And that's so very different from the idea that management at the top or executives are behind closed doors making important decisions that then get announced one day and trickle down through the organization. Instead, I love that analogy of the marathon too. You're right. Like if you're training for anything, whether it be 
uh, a race or you're you're training to I don't know give a give a speech. Heck, I'm I'm training right now for or I say the word training. I'm practicing for my TED talk that's coming up in February, and just that little by little trickle that we think of individually, right? Like we know how to train as individuals for a goal that we've set. But if you apply that to an organization, that's powerful. It's it is. so different. And, and one thing I'll say, I know we're getting close to your time here, so I want to be respectful of that. But one thing I will say too, I understand the importance of the closed door meetings and making decisions with a, you know, a, a leadership group and all of that, because it depends on the side you're going to say, I understand there's a time for that. But there's also a really good thing that even within that leadership group, they need to be able to set expectations and kind of make introductions instead of just this big, bam, here you go, do this. And there's also, I think it should be taken into consideration more so. No, not taken in. This must be something that leaderships uh, groups need to embrace is, is the deployment or dissemination of that information. It should be disseminated gradually um, so that it doesn't destroy anybody. Like, wait, I thought we were doing that. Wait, we're doing this now? And then all of a sudden they hear through the grapevine was, well, we did this little study and it came back that that's not going to work. So we want to do this. And people are feeling like, well, I did all this work and nobody, now that's when people start leaving. Absolutely. I'm so, so true. And I know we need to wrap this up. So I want to ask you one other question. So in thinking back to your time as in Alaska, when you were a kid and you were, you know, um, young, and I know you left Alaska when you were 12 or 13, but thinking back to when you were 20 and you were at the beginning of life in a lot of senses, and here I am at 24 saying that, but I, I guess I'm a bit of an old soul, but if you could give advice to your 20-year-old self, just one piece of advice that you wish you had looking back and that you would, you know, in a sense, give to someone who's 20 right now and who's struggling to figure out how do I, you know, build resilience when I graduated college and I couldn't even get a grocery stocking position because, I, you know, the, the talent market was so crazy or whatever the case might be. What advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Um. Start a journal. Um, I think if you're not journaling, I journaled every day. And in, in, when I was 20, I went into the Army. I had my 21st birthday in basic training. And I remember journaling every day, day one. I can still pull up. I still have one. I lost one of my journals in a jump. It ripped, my pant ripped open. I lost one, which is kind of a bummer. But I can still see in there my journals like day 334, you know, shot an, shot an azimuth today for, you know, I was a mortar person. So, you know, and I, it has the little things and I forgot all about that stuff, but it was neat looking back on. Um, I would, I would highly encourage, and, and it doesn't need to be long journal, but just take advantage of every single day and just write what you did. And I think what that does is it kind of helps out like, where do you want to see yourself, not in two years, five years, where do you want to see yourself in 10 years? And then journal towards that and see what it, see what happens. Um, and then I guess there's one, one last part, part of that. 10 years will come before you know it. Especially when you're 20, 10 years is a long, long time. When you're 50, not so much. Like when you're 60, it's even less. When you're 70, it's even less. Like... <laughs> 
when you're 20, 10 years is a long time. Uh, I think even at 24, you might be thinking, I don't know if you know what you're going to be at in, at 34, but challenge yourself with that. Write where you think you're going to be and then do a daily journal. Journal your way to it. Exactly. I love that. I love that. More more 20-year-olds need to hear that. And I, I do journal as well. And it's it's powerful. But just even taking that moment to reflect and say, you know what? I'm not behind. You know, I, I think so many of us now because of technology and FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out on what we see our friends or celebrities doing or traveling or whatever the case might be, the tendency for us is to think, well, I'm at this too late. You know, I've, I've missed everything. And it's kind of odd trying to explain how that works to someone who didn't grow up with social media, but it's a real struggle. And it's one of the key reasons we struggle as a generation so much with anxiety and depression is this idea of we've already missed out. You know, we're already too old for that. We're already past the point where that, you know, where we could be a a 10 year old celebrity. So that idea, I, I just love that steady course of journaling and then also taking that moment to reflect and on the day and just saying, what did I do today that made an impact on people around me or myself or, you know, who I want to become? What did I do today? And not, not just think about what do I have to accomplish in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. So both the long-term and the short-term is important. Yeah. And Hannah, what's ordinary to you is extraordinary to so many other people. I love that. Yeah. So, so true. Well, I've so enjoyed this time, Jamie. Thank you for jumping on here with me. I feel like I, I learned something about you every time we talk, but then also <laughs> just your, the business practices. I mean, heck, I, I really enjoyed quit repeating yourself, but also just getting to hear from, you know, your lips, not just your writing, how you're implementing it daily and always changing how you do things in your business to make things different is so crucial. It's it's, it was easy for me after I published my book to get in this rut of that's done, you know, it's finally done. And, uh, you know, the word in there is gold and I'm not going to change it. And then, you know, a week later, there were already things I wish I put in the book. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I know you get that too. <laughs> well, congratulations on everything you've done. You're an inspiration. And uh, yeah, really appreciate what you do. It's just amazing um, what you've accomplished and and. I just I'm so excited for all the people that you get to come in touch and contact with. And I think you're just going to be a massive, a massive outlet for people that are looking to, you know, live a greater life. So I just want to say thanks to you because it, it takes a lot to do what you're doing. It's a lot of hard work. And I really appreciate the integrity that you maintain, um, your honesty. Um, you're not faking it till you're making it. You're telling it like it is. And you're 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 practicing what you preach and you're, you're walking the walk. So it, it hats off to you for doing what you're doing. It's just, it's absolutely amazing and refreshing. At least it's not beards off for me. Just, yeah. <laughs> just hats off. <laughs> Thanks for that, Jamie. That's kind of you. All right. Well, please come back and uh, yeah, have, have a good one. Hopefully you got less snow than we did here. So. Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Native Digital, Native Analog Show. 
If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and review, and tell your friends. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.